Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our Morning Glory program. Praise God. Why don't you take your Bibles, meet me today in Exodus chapter 20, and today we want to talk about the Tenth Commandment, which is about the dangers of covetousness. And even the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, beware of covetousness. I think that this sin has a unusual way of trying to subtly sneak into our lives. And so we want to beware of what it is because it is a unique warning that the Lord gives pertaining to this unique commandment. I'll explain that in just a moment. We'll start today in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, as we discuss the topic of beware of covetousness. Praise God. Father, let your Holy Spirit come now and quicken our understanding, we pray, and that the Lord Jesus would always be Lord of every chamber and compartment of our heart. May we have no other God before you. May we have no idols in our lives. We understand that covetousness is idolatry. And so, Father, let our hearts be pure. And, Father, let Jesus sit on the throne of our heart as Lord. Now, we praise you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. We all together agree and say, Amen. Praise God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 which is the tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, we are told not to covet, but there are descriptions regarding what we should not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbors. Praise God. Now here's what's interesting with thou shalt not covet. Out of the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that is truly internal. In other words, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, well that's an external act. I I know that when Jesus came on the scene, he even addressed that as being internal through the act of lust, but it still carries on to a external act you have the commandment, you shall not steal, an external act of whether it's stealing a piece of gum at the grocery store, or stealing something when the boss is not around, thinking he won't notice, or stealing money from the bank, or whatever it might be, or stealing and robbing on your taxes, in other words, stealing from the government. But that's an external act. The thing of covetousness, you shall not covet, is that this is something that happens in your heart, Okay, this is internal, and the only person really that can expose it is God. God's the only one that can see it. Now, I think sometimes we can sense if a person is covetous in the sense of staring, almost like drooling over something and perpetually doing that, but for the most part, when the act of being covetous is carried out, it's really done in a secret way, and you can't tell if a person's doing it. Even if you do it, only God can really know. It's not something that anybody would want to broadcast, you know, or boast about. Although in the culture that we now live, everything is pretty much out on the open table. But my friends, let's talk about what it means to covet. A 
how can we say a biblical definition of covet would be to wrongfully desire what does not belong to you or what you cannot rightfully obtain. Praise God. I think one of the keys to understanding this 10th commandment, which loops back around and ties into the first commandment of you shall not have any gods before me. In other words, it's a, it's a statement against idolatry and really covetousness is idolatry. So this whole thing forms a complete loop. But I think if we understand the different, the difference, we can distinguish between bad desires and good desires, then we will be able to not float over into a realm where we kind of wake up and realize, wow, I'm being covetous. And I, I didn't even really quite realize I was doing it. Uh, you know, it, it can sneak in. You have to really guard your heart. Praise God. Uh, let me give you an example. You may need a vehicle and you may even prefer and desire a certain model, a certain brand that you would prefer to drive. And you would really like to have, as we would say, a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to be careful because the world system and the marketing techniques that are developed on Madison Avenue in New York, they're very, very sneaky in trying to lure you into something and they don't care what it takes for you to get it. They just want to sell it to you. Let me give you an example concerning a vehicle. I was reading through a magazine, oh, maybe two years ago, and turned the page, and there was an ad for a Cadillac vehicle. It had one of their models, very nice. It showed a couple, probably in their late 20s, dressed like they're out on the town and in order to be real cool you have to have this car and the car was you know really souped up really sleek looking the ad was very sensual but you would be shocked to have read what the primary statement was promoting why you should buy this car there in bold letters in a major magazine promoting the sale of the Cadillac were these words thou shalt covet. I'm not making this up. (laughs) God said, you shall not covet. Here's Cadillac. Here's GM, General Motors, telling you, oh, go ahead and covet and lust and desire. Drool over this vehicle and do whatever it takes for you to get it. Now, see, that's the world system. So it's okay to desire something nice. It's okay to have strong wishes. Even Jesus said, I desire to take the Passover with you, speaking to his disciples. I really have a burning desire to do this with you. Even in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, uh, he said, desire with a burning passion, spiritual gifts. The, The King James Version even says, covet spiritual gifts. So there is a burning desire that can be holy, that can be pure. There can be natural desires that are clean. Everything's in bounds. It's okay. But there's other things that God says it's out of bounds. And even to go there is wrong. And there's other things that you shouldn't go towards because you are being pulled there through covetousness. And a lot of that is wrapped up in what we would describe very simply in first John chapter two, right there in verses 15 through 17 in essence, the lust of the world. It's the fallen world system described as the lust of the eyes, 
the lust of the flesh, the cravings of the fallen nature, and the boastful pride of life, which can also be translated the arrogance of a lifestyle that likes to brag. Woo! Praise the Lord. My friends, we live in a world that doesn't frown on covetousness. It promotes it. And so it's something in your heart. You have to be careful that you're not drifting over into it because the Lord warned against it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So there's examples given. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with looking at your neighbor and thinking, wow, he's got a nice house. He's got a swimming pool. I don't even have a swimming pool. And, and that, that's cool to think I'm, I'm happy for him. But to go over to a place where, you know, he doesn't really deserve that. I deserve it just as much as he does. And I've worked hard too. I should have one too. And, and, uh, you know, before you know it, you start going over into a place of lust and you've crossed a boundary, you've crossed a line. God says, don't do that. Don't ever covet anything that does not belong to you. That's not rightfully yours. Don't covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, you have to understand I got an ugly wife and I'm not happy with the one I've got. I've had her for too long. I'd like to trade her in for something else. No, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And also, ladies, you shall not covet your neighbor's husband. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Works both ways, doesn't it? Nor his male servant, nor his female servant. I, I think that's important for employers to understand that as you're out, maybe visiting another company, and you see another employee, another servant working beneath their master, so to speak, as we use those words from the uh, perspective of employer and employee, that you don't lust or covet uh, your friend's workers, the male or the female servant. And you don't go behind the scenes and say, hey, come work for me. I'll, I'll treat you better than him. I, I think there's a place where job shifts and job changes can be done, but I don't think anybody should ever covet somebody else's worker or employee and undercut somebody else to get that person. You know, I, I was listening to a minister, a very well-known minister, and he told the story that he worked. Uh, now, he went on to become a, a, a very well-known minister in his own right, but as he was rising up in the the ministry. Let's just say he's rising into the ministry. He landed a job where he was working for a, a minister that had a global ministry. And so he loved this man, the man that hired him, the great man of God that hired him, not only saw potential calling of ministry and gifting and anointing and was happy about that, but he also realized, hey, this guy is a great asset. He, he does the work of like five people. Okay. So this minister said, said, I was working for this great man of God, and I did an incredible amount of work. I, I organized his schedule. I took care of all of his phone calls, and I, I took care of all of his important emails, and I my job was to push him higher. My job was to free him up so that he can do what God wants him to do and to serve him the best way possible. So he was so good at, at serving that one day the great man of God invited another great man of God in to do a a uh, conference there at his at his place and so behind the scenes the visiting minister went behind the scenes and went up to this guy I'm talking about and said wow you're really good you're, you're a great worker and uh hey he said why don't you come work for me and the, this this 
man said, well, he said, I work for so-and-so. He's like a spiritual father to me, and he pays me really good. And the guest minister said, how much does he pay you? He said, well, this is what he pays me. He goes, oh, he said, leave him. Come work for me. I'll pay you more. I mean, uh, uh, that, see, that's like a covetousness. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, I'm going to cross any boundary. I have no recognition of boundaries. I have no recognition of honor. I have no recognition of others' feelings. I have no thought for what, uh, how this might affect somebody else. I'm just going to jump in here, and I'm going to take whatever I want. And, and, so, and so I think there can be promotion, absolutely. I think there can be levels of stepping up. But I think things need to be done the right way. Hallelujah. And really, even Paul, you know, he said all of this, all of these Ten Commandments can be wrapped up in the concept of agape love. Agape love is a self-sacrificial love where you love that person and you want to do to that person the right thing just as, and you want to treat them the right way just the way that you would like to be treated. So all of this can be pulled together from the concept of a great love that we have for our brothers and our sisters and for the lost. We always want to walk before the Lord and our fellow man with a clear conscience. By the way, that, that young minister of the gospel told the visiting minister, he said, no, he said, he said, I can't, I can't do that. He said, I just can't drop this job and come work for you. Uh, yes, you would pay me more money, but th- I'm into this more than just money. Uh, this man's like a father to me. I can't just throw him under the bus just because something better came along. I mean, what if I go join you and then somebody better than you comes along? Am I supposed to throw you under the bus too? I mean, are we going to make a lifestyle out of this? So you need to have ethics. You need to have a, you need to have a code of conduct and a moral foundation upon which your beliefs are established or when there's a temptation when there's a bribe then you can just yield to covetousness and take it and you could you could um you could pay dearly for that you know i live just right on the edge of charlotte north carolina and the former mayor of charlotte is in prison right now why because of covetousness because of a greed and a lust for money and he had men come to him while he was the mayor, and uh, these were this was like a professional contract painting company, and they said, "Hey, we want we want to paint uh, we want the jobs to paint these areas, and we're willing to give you some cash under the table if you'll kind of work uh, to make things work out so that we get the contract job." He goes, "Okay, I'll make it happen." He made it happen. They gave him like you know fourteen thousand dollars. They came back, gave him like twenty something thousand dollars. The whole time, the mayor never knew that those were FBI undercover agents. And uh, you know, the the mayor took the bribe. Why why does a person take a bribe? Why would they do something like that? Covetousness. So you have to beware, my friends, that these things don't sneak into your heart and you find yourself making compromises that you never want to do. Praise God. So don't covet the male or female servant. Don't cover his ox or his donkey. From the perspective of the ox, this would be something that would be like, you know, your neighbor's tractor, okay, your neighbor's uh, ATV, you know, an ox, uh, excuse me, an ox pulls loads, okay, so don't cover your, don't, don't covet your neighbor's tools, he sure got a nice tool set. He's he's not always around. Maybe I can sl- uh, slip over there and uh, he'll you know just take a few things. I know when he's gone to work, and he'll never know. No, no, protect his stuff. Even if you and your neighbor don't get along, protect your neighbor. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
So don't covet, covet anything. And so it says, nor his ox, nor his donkey, okay, the donkey, the vehicle of transportation. Don't covet your neighbor's vehicle. Praise God. Save up and go get your own vehicle. You can get one just like his, hallelujah, if you want to, but there's no need to covet. Don't get into that. And even if he's driving something perhaps that you could never have, don't worry about it. Just don't touch it. Don't let your mind go there. Don't let your heart go there. The Bible says, do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Woo, hallelujah, praise God. So stay away from it. Stay away from it. Praise God. It's to wrongfully desire what does not belong to you and what you cannot rightfully obtain. Praise God. Now, let's look a little bit further into this fascinating subject. We're going to go over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. God wants you to have nice things. God wants to bless you, but the Lord doesn't want you greedily grasping and straining to get things. No, my friends, the Lord Jesus said, all the nations of the world, all the unbelievers, they run after these things. He said, don't let that be your method of living. Don't let your lifestyle be like that. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, they'll be added to you. Okay. So the Lord's going to take good care of you. You don't have to get over into greed and avarice and, uh, you know, strain and, and lust. You don't have to do those types of things. God will meet your every need in a peaceful condition. Praise God. Okay. So now we are in Luke chapter 12. Let's go down to verse 13. Praise God. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Isn't it amazing how people just pop in and they somehow want you to understand within five minutes their entire experience of the last five years that is deeply complicated, that is about as sticky as a spider web sprinkled with super glue, and you're supposed to somehow unravel this big complex mess within your mind within 30 seconds, and, uh, and, and you know, you're supposed to be able to solve all of their problems. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, this is what Jesus said. He said, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? I'm not your judge. Who, who, how, 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 you know, what makes you think I'm going to just jump in here and kind of like, you know, divide all this up and figure all this out for you? I mean, really, if the Lord did jump in there and get it all figured out, maybe he would find out that this very man who's standing here saying, you know, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Maybe the Lord would find out that rightfully this guy doesn't deserve an inheritance. Maybe the father gave it to the other son full well knowing exactly that this son deserved it. And the one who's clamoring for it and says he should have a part actually should be dishonored because maybe he even punched or lied or hit his father or abused his father and now the father didn't give him something and now he's upset my friends you have to be careful that you don't get tangled up into things we tried to help people but you know the greatest way that we can help people is to turn them to the lord turn them to the lord because there are people that have very complicated problems and it's not going to be solved in a couple of minutes. And not only that, you're not, uh, you're not God in a sense where you can just fix everything for everybody. Praise God. Jesus said to them, speaking to the crowd, 
on behalf of what this person just said. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Praise God. Glory to God. So maybe this man rightfully didn't deserve an inheritance, and he just needs to embrace that reality, accept the fact, perhaps, that, you know what, this is a wake-up call for him. Don't love these things. Don't love it. Let it go. Follow after the Lord, even, even if it's done rightfully or if it's done wrongfully. If you're done wrongfully, let it go and go on with the Lord. This is not your life. This is not like an uh, end-of-the-line moment for you. No, you still have the Lord. You still have faith. You still have hope. Go on. God will make a way for you. Now, let's say from another angle, let's say this brother was done wrong. Let's say that for some bizarre reason, the father was very dysfunctional and decides to give all of the inheritance to a son that really didn't deserve it. And the good son was left with zero. And he's over here going, hey, that's not right. Hey, Jesus, tell my father to, you know, uh, to tell my brother, you know, my father's died, but tell my brother to split that inheritance and do the right thing. No, no. Look, look there's a lot of covetousness that's disguised in people's, you know, imploring quest for help. And really what's going on is they're trying to grasp desperately for something that they just so wish they could have. Look, God will sustain you and take care of you. You don't need to go over into covetousness. Praise the Lord. You know, just a few days ago, I was listening to the testimony of a young man who, whose father was one of the leading fathers excuse me, one of the leading rabbis in all of Israel. And the father was raising this young man up to be the next generation's leading rabbi, not just a rabbi, one of the top leading rabbis in the whole nation of Israel. And so this young man got saved. He heard the gospel message preached for about four years, and then the light came on, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And when he did that, his father completely disowned him. The entire family had a funeral. He didn't die. They had a funeral, and the Orthodox Jews will do this if you receive Christ, because they, 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 they hate the name of Jesus even, and they do not accept him by any means as the Savior. Uh, they look at him as a false prophet. And so the, the entire Orthodox Jewish family had a, a funeral on behalf of the brother and treated him as if he were dead. And they said, we will never talk to you or have any further contact with you for the rest of your life, long as you hold to this so-called new faith in Jesus. And they wouldn't even say the name Jesus. They just completely rejected him. Now, the grandfather, the grandfather previously of this man was one of the top rabbis as well. So this rabbinical line ran way back in history. The grandfather uh, had died also. And so now the father has passed away. And this young man is trying to serve the Lord. His whole family has rejected him because of his faith in Jesus. The, the Jewish company that he worked for there in Israel 
basically they wanted him out just for the fact that he's a Christian and he doesn't fit in with everybody else. So they found a reason, uh, not a good reason, but just something silly that they could basically say, hey, we're letting you go. So now he doesn't have a job and nobody wants to hire him. And so, you know, if you give your heart to the Lord in some countries, you have to be willing to accept that there can be very, very severe persecution that can touch you. Well, this man was not willing to let go of Jesus and his wife also got saved. So he and his wife were actually living on the beach in a tent there in Tel Aviv, Israel. Now they're, they, uh, they have been completely rejected by the family. The man and his wife are living on the beach in Israel and he got a job as a dishwasher and his wife is working another job, but they don't have enough money even to move into an apartment. And so he receives contact from a person who found him there on the beach. And the, this man said, I have been looking for you. And the attorney sent me to go out and try to find you. And I'm glad I found you. I can't believe I found you on the beach. You're living like a homeless person here in a tent on the beach. He said, you need to come talk to the attorney. The attorney sent me to locate you because we've got some good news for you. So the man left the beach, goes into the city and speaks to the attorney. And the attorney says, we are very happy to inform you that a will was left by your grandfather. You are included in the will and you are due one million dollars, one million U.S. dollars. All you have to do is sign on the line right here and you will you can go straight to the bank and get one million dollars cash come on go ahead and sign this get you and your wife off the beach get yourself out of that homeless situation go buy yourself a home treat yourself nice there's just one condition uh, in order to sign this you must agree with the condition the young man said what's the condition the condition is that your grandfather having been a Jewish rabbi says that in order, uh, you know, uh, in the will, says that in order for you to receive your full inheritance here of $1 million cash, you must renounce Jesus as Messiah and cut off all relationship with Jesus Christ. And the, the young man said, oh, he said, I can't sign it. He says, there's no way I can sign that. He said, I, I have given my heart to Jesus. The attorney said, he said, he said, look, he said, it's just you and me, we're the only ones in this office. He said, come on, between you and I, I'm not going to say anything to anybody. Just sign it. Go get your money. This stuff doesn't mean anything to me anyhow, this religious stuff. Just, hey, look, sign it. Go get your money. I've done my job. You, you can get your money. And nobody's going to know. And the young man said, he said, God knows. God watches everything I do. And so... He didn't get the money. He didn't get the inheritance. So this is what he said. He said, give the inheritance to my family and say, this is a gift from Jesus Christ, the Messiah. <laughs> now, look, you cannot be a covetous person and do something like that. You have to be very, very careful. If that covetous thing starts to get into your heart, you will clam up. You, uh, when God wants you to give, you'll be locked down. And even though you know you're supposed to, you won't do it. Why? You have yielded to it. It is very, very dangerous. Jesus said, Jesus said, take heed. I mean, be on guard and beware 
of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That young man left that office, left all of that, uh, what we would call possessions, went back to the beach, to his little tent on the beach, and he and his wife just con- continued to worship the Lord, and they worked. And a few days later, they were supernaturally given $12,000. Then a few days after that, they were miraculously given $14,000. They were able to move immediately into a very nice apartment, get off the beach, and get comfortable. And see, God honored them the right way. But my friends, I'm telling you, if you're willing to compromise, then the devil will take note of that, and he'll do something that will snag you and hold you back from going into the fullness of your inheritance. Praise God. Praise God. Your life does not consist, it doesn't, in the abundance of the things you possess. And It's nice to have nice things that you possess, but the moment they possess you, the order's all wrong, and you need to do something about that. You need to talk to the Lord about it, and you need to get cleansing from covetousness. Glory to God. It is a very deceptive thing, and we are warned. We are even commanded. It is in the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 20 and look at something very interesting. In verse 33, as Paul is saying farewell to the elders and the members of the church, getting ready to leave them and knowing that most likely he's not going to see them again. He has spent time with them. He has shared the word of God with them. He has taught them all that he knows. Now it's time for him to move on. This is his farewell address, and you might be surprised at what he tells them as he gives them his final farewell words. Praise God. Verse 33, Paul said, as he's getting ready to leave. Now, He's talking primarily to those that will be in leadership once he's gone, who will have to take care of the church and lead the church. So this this is what he's telling them is not just personal lifestyle of his living. He's saying you need to live like this also. You need to you need to set a standard and have this type of protocol in your life. He said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or peril. That's not a light statement. Paul didn't drop little hints. Hey, that's a nice silver ring. You know what? I've always wanted one like that, but uh, yeah, I just don't have one. Sure would like to have one. Boy, that's a nice ring. He didn't do stuff like that to people. He didn't say, you know, I'd tell you what, brother, you know what? Being an apostle, being a missionary, there's not a lot of money in it. Hey, that's a nice that's really a nice gold watch you've got. I tell you, I've always wanted one of those. And, you know, God has told me, God told me he'd give me one of those sometime. And, boy, that's a nice watch you've got. He's not trying to drop hints to manipulate people. He's not letting covetousness kind of like ooze out of him to try to get something that's that that belongs to somebody else and just somehow get over there and get that. And, oh, I just, no, 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 he didn't do that. And he even mentions apparel or clothing. You might not think, oh, that's that's no big deal. But look, back in, in the medieval, uh, excuse me, I almost said medieval times. In some ways, it st- was still going on in, in the medieval times. But back in Paul's time in the Middle Eastern culture, and in Greek and in Roman culture, clothing, I mean, it was it was all about the clothes. Because if you had clothing that was dyed blue or purple, 
I mean, you're it. That's like mega Hollywood superstar status. Nobody, nobody could wear clothes that were purple and that were dyed those type of colors unless you were ultra wealth. I'm not just talking wealthy. You had to be ultra wealth. Only kings, only the highest, wealthiest people could wear that type of clothing. And so Paul said, I, I didn't covet, covet anybody's clothing either. Now, now today we've got a lot of different ways that we can dye clothes. So a purple shirt's no big deal. But back in those days, uh, you were a heavy hitter. If you had a solid blue shirt on, or, or solid purple shirt, or a bright red crimson shirt, I mean that was ultra premium rare back then. Paul said, "I've coveted no one's silver, I've coveted no one's gold, I haven't craved and desired for somebody's clothing." Brother, that's a nice scarf. You know what? I'm just a poor apostle. I'm just a humble missionary. I've always wanted a scarf like that. He never did stuff like that. He's not trying to manipulate. He's not coveting. He's not doing that. Praise God. And he's trying to demonstrate this to the other leaders that will be leading once he's gone. Don't manipulate God's people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you you think about the time that Joshua conquered Ai. And it took him a second go around the, the conquer it because something went wrong the first time. One of the Israelites coveted some of the forbidden things in the city. And because it was, his name was Achan, because Achan took some clothing, some, some beautiful garments and some silver, and he took them and he hid them beneath his tent. Because of that, the children of Israel could not th- overthrow that small city until that sin was dealt with. What was it? A sin of covetousness. Of what? Of clothing. I mean, he saw some clothes that were just like, wow, that's like, that's high fashion. That's, and, and he took it. And you, you think about the mindset. This is what Achan did. Gehazi did the same thing. Later, later with the ministry of Elisha, he took clothing and, and some money, some silver. And he, he did the same thing. He buried it. Both guys buried it. And you would think, hey, come on, think. It's, it's not a good idea to put cloth in the dirt. doesn't hold up very well when you bury clothes in the ground. And so you have to realize, you know, and Jesus said, don't lay up where moth and rust corrupt and destroy. And you, you could have a beautiful wardrobe, but if you get some moths in there, they'll start eating holes in that beautiful clothing. And not only that, it's also subjected to time, uh, you know, even the best garments, they can't hold up forever, praise God. Matter of fact, you probably can't even find some of the clothes you wore 25 years ago. Why? They wore out. They wore out, and you eventually just threw them away. My friends, whether it's silver or gold or, or apparel or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's barbecue or the pool or this stuff, 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 or whatever it is, or cravings or longings, don't, don't covet. Hallelujah. Don't covet. Praise God. Glory to God. Now, I want to give you more of a layman's perspective of the definition of covetousness. I believe biblically it means to wrongfully desire what does not belong to you, what you are not able to rightfully obtain. Now, a little more of an everyday definition. Here's my definition. Covetousness is an effort to replace a spiritual deficit with a natural 
and much more inferior substitute. When you are coveting after something, you have to ask yourself, why am I craving this instead of God? Why do I have, and, and by the way, the word covet in the, from the New Testament, the word is a little bit different from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is more about a boundary of this is not what you're allowed to have. In other words, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, etc. It's more about you're not allowed to, to go after things that are on a no list. But covetousness from the New Testament word, from the Greek word there, it implies lust. It implies sensuality. It implies a craving after something that you just, ooh, I want that. I want that. So you, if you find yourself with certain types of cravings, with, with a sensual appetite, you have to ask yourself, why am I having these cravings after these things? Why am I having thoughts or pulls of covetousness towards stuff instead of God? Why is it that I'm not coveting spiritual gifts? Why is it that I'm not coveting a deep desire to know God? How come I don't have a burning passion to have a closer walk with God? So covetousness, one aspect of it, is an effort on behalf of a person to replace a spiritual deficit, a hole in your heart where something is missing, with a natural and much more inferior carnal substitute. And by the way, that substitute will not satisfy. It can do a temporary, a temporary stopgap feel. But give it a few days, give it a few weeks, and the urge comes back. And you thought, well, I, I thought I satisfied that. No, you just you just threw a temporary substitute in there, a cheap substitute. My friends, if you realize that there have been areas of unlawful desire, if you realize that a good desire has morphed into covetousness because of greed, because of a lustful type, sensual type appetite, then what you need to do is you need to repent. And you need to say, Father God, cleanse me, cleanse me of covetousness. Forgive me of it. Wash the sin of it away, and now cleanse me and take away that desire. Now watch this. Father, don't just take it away, but replace that vacuum, that emptiness in me that's creating that desire. Replace it with you, with your peace, with your peace. Father, I want to pray for you right now. For anybody that feels they have pass beyond the boundary line that the word says thou shalt not father for anybody who maybe even a good desire maybe even a hobby turned into something that has now become a drooling lust type thing that feeds something that's carnal father i pray for them freedom in the name of jesus now into your heart receive you receive deliverance, lift your hands, receive deliverance in the name of Jesus, freedom, the grace of God, the love of God flows over you now. Now, Father, what once was a deficit, was a gap, was a hole in their heart, 
Fill it now. Lord Jesus, take, take your position upon the throne of their heart. Go into that very room that was once covetous, that once had contamination, that is now washed and cleansed by your blood. Go in there now and sit as Lord on the throne of that compartment of their heart. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Peace. Father, let peace enter their heart. Father, I pray for a cutting off of every avenue of covetousness, whether it's been giving something way more attention than it deserves, whether it is giving something much more thought than is needed. Father God, let there be freedom and let, let all deficits be turned into pursuit of you. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus, receive freedom from covetousness. Hallelujah. Let it, let it come off of you right now. Let it come off of you right now. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Hallelujah. My goal before I leave this planet, before my wife and I leave this planet, everything will be dispersed. Everything will be dispersed. Hallelujah. After all, I can't, I can't take it. Why just leave it sitting around for the state to take it? No, it will all be dispersed. Praise God. And don't think that you can wait to the last minute to do something like that. You must be giving consistently. Or you will think, oh, I'll just give later, later, later. You'll get, late, you'll get till later, and then you'll find out you're all tied up. You're all bound up, and you can't do it. It must be a lifestyle. Father, we praise you. Father, we praise you. Freedom. Freedom. Hey, isn't this amazing? You know this verse. Did you ever realize that this verse is just one more after the one I just read? I just read to you. Verse 35. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold in apparel. And then he says right after that one verse further, it, it, the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You can't give with a covetous heart. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm telling you, covetousness will rob and steal from you and bind you up in ways you never even knew. Be free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Every form of lust, every form of sensuality, every form of grasping, every form of reaching for any type of forbidden fruit. Hallelujah. Cut it off completely and make a determination. You will never even go that direction. If that's the forbidden fruit, you won't even go near that garden. Praise God. Hallelujah. You'll stay clear from it. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for freedom. Hallelujah. The key is let God fill you. Let God fill you. Let your strongest desires, let your strongest thoughts, your deepest passions be in relation to him. Oh, hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take communion. Glory to God. There's a cleansing taking place in your heart right now. Somebody's weeping. You're weeping because the Lord's setting you free. Hallelujah. He'll make you smile. He'll make you happy. Glory to God. Remember the Lord told the rich young ruler, take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, then come, take up your cross and follow me. And he wouldn't do it. He, he just, he couldn't do it. Why? He was covetous. He had great riches. Or, as you can say, the great riches had him. 
Mm, 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 mm. Freedom. 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 And the more free you are, and the more at liberty you are, God gives. God gives. God pours in. God pours in. One great man of God, a pastor in Africa, they call him Daddy Geo, stood up before the congregation. His church seats 50,000. That doesn't include the overflow room that's always full as well, which seats thousands more. He stood before the congregation and said, I have enough cars. Do not give me a vehicle. Nobody give me a vehicle. And he walked out after having preached that, and there's five brand new cars given to him. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you, the more free you are, and the more you understand it is more blessed to give than to receive, you'll see a giving aspect of God poured into you in a very, very joyful way. Hallelujah. Come on, grab your unleavened bread and your communion. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Freedom in the spirit. Freedom in the spirit. Freedom to give it all away, should the Lord say and direct. Hallelujah. But freedom also, inwardly, every day, from grasping or trying to get something that the Lord said, no, don't even go there. Don't even think about it. Praise God. So, Father, we thank you. We pray over this bread and this juice. We bless it. We consecrate it. This is now the flesh and blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Take the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for it, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. We thank you that you have fed us today. We give you praise. We receive the body of Christ now, and we thank you for your strength to walk in the light of what we now know. In Jesus' name, let's receive. Praise God. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Mm -mm. Don't covet somebody's promotion. Don't covet somebody's salary increase. Don't covet somebody else's breakthrough. You can have your own. You can have your own. God will do it for you. God will do it for you. Hallelujah. Turn to the Lord. He will fulfill every one of your desires. Turn fully to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ, that it washes us and cleanses us from all sin. We thank you, O God, for your grace, for your strength, for your mercy. We thank you for clean and pure desires, and that you give us the very best. We thank you, Father, you said in your word, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We thank you for good things, your very best, with no strain, with no grasping. Hallelujah. We praise you. We praise you, Father. We thank you for the blood of Jesus in his name. Amen. Let's receive. Glory to God. Glory to God. Freedom. Freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was just thinking about old King Ahab, king of Israel, 
who wanted to get the property next door to his palace, which was Naboth's vineyard. And he'd look out, the old King Ahab would look out of his window, and he would see his neighbor's property. And he thought, whoo, that's a good piece of property. That's a great looking piece of property that guy has. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go over to his house, and I'm going to go knock on his door. I'm going to see if he'll sell it to me. And he went over there, and Naboth said, he said, no, I can't sell it. This has been in my family lineage for generations. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Ooh, oh, Ahab was so covetous. He so wanted that property, and he, he was told no, and he came back to his palace pouting and crying and sobbing and groaning and moaning and all upset. And his wife Jezebel overheard and said, what's your problem? He goes, oh, I want that. I, I covet. I lust after that property next to mine. I want that piece of land. She said, she said oh, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. And she, ha she had Naboth set up, and false accusations were placed against him, and he was murdered. They killed an innocent man. She comes back and tells her husband, go get your vineyard. Mm, but then Elijah the prophet showed up. I'm telling you, my friends, if, if for some reason God says, no, don't touch it, whether it's a vineyard or whether it's, you know, a toothpick, hallelujah. If God says, no, if it doesn't work out, be at peace, be at peace. After all, is a vineyard with a couple of grapevines is it really worth killing somebody over? Is it like having a vineyard? Just somehow you sit down in a lawn chair in a vineyard and you say, that's what I always needed. That now brings equilibrium into my universe. This vineyard and these couple of grapevines and this plastic lawn chair, that's really what I needed for eternal satisfaction and peace and joy. Really? A vineyard? Lusting and coveting over a little bitty plot of land? My friends, can't you see the whole thing's a lie? It's a lie. Your flesh doesn't need it. Praise God. Let it go. Reject it and say, I will remain in the peace of God. I bless God. He gives me his best. And that which is not allotted to me, I will not touch, crave, or desire. But I will bless my neighbor and even protect my neighbor's stuff. Father, bless your people today. We thank you for the love of Christ, how rich and how deep and pure it is. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.